Well, in the presence of our holy God, let's open up his holy word. Let's see what he has for us this morning. This morning we're going to be looking at Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. And as you turn there, let me ask you about the holidays. Are you one of those people for whom the holidays are particularly important? Are you one of those people who just can't imagine you know, missing a holiday? Uh, does it ruin your year if you find yourself separated from family on, on Thanksgiving or uh, on Christmas? I remember one year when I was a teenager, I had the flu over one Christmas. And we were celebrating Christmas with my grandparents up in Northampton County. Uh, we were living in Florida at the time, and so it had been a big trip to, to get up here. We had been looking forward to it for a, for a while. We had been counting down the days to when we would get to be with our family and uh, experience Christmas together. And we arrived and Christmas came and I felt absolutely miserable. And I spent that time basically coming in and out of sleep uh, when I was awake, just begging God to make me feel better. And in a very real way, I, I missed Christmas, and it was, a, it was a huge disappointment. But our holidays can hardly be compared to how seriously the Israelites took their holy days. And so, for example, we've been learning about the Passover. We've been learning about the Passover feast. And Passover would become a huge holy day for Israel. According to Leon Morris, bridges and roads were repaired a month before so that the pilgrims could make their journey to Jerusalem. Graves were whitewashed to prevent people from coming into contact with them and and therefore becoming unclean and unable to participate in the feast. Passover was the only time of year when a flute was played before the altar of God. It was the only time of year when the holy place itself was was whitened, received a fresh coat of paint. It was one of only two times of the year when the altar itself was whitened. By the time we come to the first century and the time of Christ, we're told by Josephus that the population of Jerusalem would swell to three million people during the Passover week. And he estimates that each year at Passover in the first century, more than a million lambs were slain. Now, Josephus may have embellished or overestimated a little. Uh, Commentators argue over that. But either way, this holy day was a big, big deal for ancient Israel. Uh, What would people do to make sure that they didn't miss the Passover? Well, Morris mentions one account from the rabbinic literature of a man who had developed a boil and the boil needed to be treated. And he says, if a physician cut it off, then the moment it was severed from the body, it became dead tissue and contact with it would render any person unclean. And the physician and the patient were uh, both almost certain to be disqualified from keeping the Passover feast. So the procedure was that the physician would cut enough 
to leave the boil hanging by a thread. It was still part of the man's body and thus living and therefore not unclean. The patient then would stick it on a thorn and pull away from it quickly, thus severing the boil from the body, and in this way neither the patient nor the physician had to touch the boil, and both were able to keep the Passover feast. I'm keeping you from wanting lunch too quickly, see. Well, this morning we return to the very first Passover. Uh, The people of Israel have been commanded to choose a lamb, a lamb without blemish. They're to care for this lamb. And after four days, they are to slaughter this lamb. And the blood is to be applied to the door frames of their homes. And within those homes, they are to feast on this lamb. And while the firstborn of Egypt will be struck down by God, the firstborn of Israel will be spared because of these lambs this is a huge night it's a tense night this is a night that challenged the people of israel to believe and obey their god when the stakes were really really high and once the plague took place pharaoh was going to let the people of israel go and so they're packing they're gathering what they have together They're getting ready to leave with their flocks and with their herds. They're gathering together their material possessions. They will be taking with them the silver and the gold that their Egyptian neighbors are giving to them. This is what is on the mind of the Israelites in Exodus 12. They are finally leaving this land in which they have been slaves for centuries. They're going home. A home that none of these people have ever, have ever been to. They're going to the promised land, to, to Canaan, to the land that was promised to Abraham, their forefather. The Lord, however, is already making preparations for this new nation of Israel and for future generations to come. The Lord isn't just thinking about these particular folks leaving Egypt. He is making plans for the future. For the good of these souls, but for the good of the future of Israel, it is paramount that they remember what he has done on this important night. And therefore, through Moses, he gives instructions. Instructions about the Feast of Unleavened Bread or what I'm calling the no-yeast feast. You see, each year in Israel, after the day of Passover has been celebrated, the people are to enter into a week-long feast. But this isn't your typical feast. This is a time for eating unleavened bread, and it's a time for remembering. And I think you'll see that there are some very important lessons for us this morning that God has some things to say to us through the account of this feast and so let's read it together we're going to read two passages let's start in Exodus 12 and begin reading in verse 14 Exodus 12 verse 14 this day shall be for you a memorial day And you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. 
On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses. For if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly. And on the seventh day, a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days. But what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared by you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For on this very day I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. In the first month, from the fourteenth day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the twenty-first day of the month at evening. For seven days no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a sojourner or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened. In all your dwelling places you shall eat unleavened bread. Now look over at Exodus 13. Exodus 13, beginning in verse 3. Beginning in verse 3, Exodus 13. Then Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery. For by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. Today, in the month of Abib, you are going out. And when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you shall keep this service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. No leavened bread shall be seen with you, and no leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory. You shall tell your son on that day, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. And it shall be to you as a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this statute at its appointed time from year to year. Okay, so let's think about this week-long feast of unleavened bread under three headings. Three headings. First, let's look at the purpose of this feast. Second, let's look at some features of this feast. And then third, let's look at some lessons from this feast. So first, the purpose of the feast. And we are left without any doubt about why God commanded this feast to be observed throughout all generations of ancient Israel. Exodus 12, verse 14. This day shall be for you a memorial day. You shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast, a a memorial day. We know something about memorial days. Exodus 13, verse 3. Then Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery. For by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. So remember this day, Israel. Remember the strong hand of the Lord. No leavened bread is to be eaten. Now the idea here is more than just remembering. These days are to be set aside to remember and to respond accordingly to what they remember. In other words, these are days that God was setting aside on Israel's calendar 
in which the people of Israel were to halt from their regular daily lives to remember what their God had done for them. They are to remember how he prospered them in Egypt, how he made them a people, a nation, how he brought them out with a strong hand, and remembering this, there is to be a week of national thanksgiving. This was meant to be a week of national celebration, a week of national worship, a week of national joy. And every tribe, and every clan, and every family, and every home, the people of Israel were to stop and to remember and to praise God for what he had done for them. In particular, they were to remember three things. First, they were to remember where they came from. Exodus twelve seventeen. You shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for on this very day I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Exodus thirteen three. Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery. This was a week set aside for the people of Israel to remember the trials of Egypt. They were to remember how they were beaten with whips, how they were forced to make brick and build buildings to honor pagan kings. They were to remember how they were forced to gather their own straw, burdened with that impossible expectation, and then beaten when they could not meet those expectations. They were to remember Pharaoh's edict that all the male infants were to be thrown into the Nile River and drowned. The centuries of suffering, the centuries of slavery... These were to be brought to mind. How the people of God cried out to him for deliverance. Praying for year after year, decade after decade, centuries. Praying. They were to remember. But then second, they were to remember how God rescued them. Namely, by his mighty power. Right? Exodus 13.3, for by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. Or again, Exodus 13.9, for the strong hand the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. For generations, the Israelites were to stop what they were doing and have a week in which they recounted the ten plagues. These amazing acts of God that revealed his sovereignty over all the earth. God performed these powerful acts of turning water into blood, bringing frogs and flies and locusts among the people, raining hail down from the sky, and all these he performed for the sake of his people, to rescue his people. The salvation of Israel was accomplished by a stunning work of the power of God, and they were to remember that. And third, they were to remember where God was taking them. Where God was taking them. They they were to remember not just where they came from or how God rescued them, but the place he rescued them for. Exodus 13, 5. It's described as the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you a land flowing with milk and honey. In other words, not only was Israel being taken out of bondage in Egypt, but they are being taken to the promised land. Mount Hermon, let me ask you this morning. Do you take time? 
to remember. Dear Christian in this room, do you remember who you once were? Do you remember those days when you were still a slave to your sin? Do you remember how lost you were, how how blind you were, how there was such an emptiness in your life? Do you remember when sin still had its shackles on you, how you lived and addicted to selfish ambition and pride, everyday rebellion against God? Do you remember the road you were headed down, the hell that you were headed for? Do you ever stop to remember? Do you remember the mighty way that God saved your soul? Do you remember how he broke into your life and changed you? Even before you were born, he did mighty acts as God came to earth as a man, performed amazing miracles, and then took your guilt upon his shoulders and died in your place on the cross. And even now in your lifetime, your resurrected and exalted Lord has done mighty acts to save your soul. Your Jesus, who is sovereign over all, ordered the people who would speak into your life. It was he who ordained those gospel influences that would come your way and in just the right time, in accordance with his plan, he sent the Holy Spirit and he changed your heart. He opened your eyes. He gave you understanding, helped you to sense your sin. You think raining down hell from heaven is a big deal. God made you a new creation. You were born again. And the old passed away, the new came The shackles of sin have been taken off of you, never to be put on again. You, Christian, have been set free by the awesome power of Jesus Christ. Do you remember? Do you take time to recall the goodness of God in your life? Dear Christian, do you remember the place that Christ Jesus has saved you for? Do you think about the heaven? that is ahead for you? Does it bring you comfort and joy and a sense of eager anticipation as you think about closing your eyes for the last time in this life and opening your eyes for the first time in that life to come and beholding the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ in a way you never have before? Do you not rejoice to know that you are headed for a home you've never been to yet? A true land flowing with milk and honey. Paradise, Eden, the place of eternal joy. Do you stop and do you remember? Friends, we ought to stop and we ought to remember and we ought to worship. (laughs) And we ought to thank God. And we ought to celebrate. That was the purpose of this feast. Second heading, the features of this feast. The features of this feast. And I'm only going to mention two. Two that are particularly highlighted in these passages. The first 
was that this entire week was to be bookended by holy assemblies. It was to begin with a holy assembly. It was to end with a holy assembly. On the first day of the week and on the last day of the week of this feast, the people were to gather together and regular work was to stop. God said, only what you need to prepare food to eat that day, that may be done, but everything else needs to to stop. Exodus 12, verse 16, on the first day you shall hold a holy assembly, on the seventh day a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days, but what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared by you. And by having these holy assemblies, it became clear that this was not just meant to be a family celebration. This is what Christmas often becomes for us, right? A family celebration. That's not what this was to be. The celebration was to unite the entire people of God. All of Israel was rescued out of Egypt by God. And every Israelite that would ever live would owe thanksgiving to God for what he did on this important day. This feast was meant to unite God's people for they were all beneficiaries of a common salvation that God had accomplished for them. And in the same way, we too gather as God's people to remember our common salvation. We are united together in this place, not because we all have the same interests or the same hobbies or the same careers or the same family backgrounds. No, there is a wide range in this room of hobbies and interests and careers and, and family backgrounds. It's, it's not what unites us here. What unites us in this holy assembly is that we have all been redeemed by the blood of the same lamb. That we've all been saved by the mighty hand of God. That's what makes us as Christians one in this room. We are sinners who have been saved by grace. The second feature is the main feature of this feast. It is the feature of the unleavened bread. You simply can't miss it, could you? As you were reading those two passages, it's just repeated over and over and over and over again. Don't eat any leavened bread during this week. All leaven is to be removed from your homes during this week. Anyone who eats bread during this holy week that is leavened will not be accepted any longer as a fellow Israelite. The entire feast remembers what God has done for Israel through this feature of unleavened bread. Unleavened bread. What is the significance of unleavened bread? I've heard no one explain it better than John Mackey. Those of you who have some experience in the kitchen... Those of you who maybe have baked some some homemade bread will relate to this better than others. Mackie says, unleavened bread was a symbol of discontinuity. Discontinuity. Leaven was a bit of dough kept unbaked from the previous day's baking and added to the next day's batch of dough so that it would start the fermentation process there also, anybody ever done this? You kept yeast in your fridge to move to the next day? 
It was used in much the same way as yeast would be now. When a batch of bread was being baked, a relatively small amount of leaven or yeast was added, and it works its way through the dough and causes it to rise. The instruction to banish leaven from their houses and to take none of the leaven from Egypt with them was a gesture that symbolized leaving behind all Egyptian influences that might work their ways through their lives and corrupt them. The corruption of Egypt was to have no place among the Lord's people whom he had delivered from Egypt. So in other words, keeping leaven in the home was how you kept the process going of having daily fermented bread. To lose the leaven was to have to start all over again. It was a break, a clean break. And that's exactly what God was teaching the people of Israel. That they are not to carry with them out of Egypt all of the worldliness and the paganism that they knew while they were there. As Israel now leaves this nation of Egypt and becomes a nation themselves, they are to enter into a new way of living. They're not to continue their old ways of living. God's about to bring them to Mount Sinai. And he's going to make them a new constitution. And he is going to give them new standards for living. Out with the old. In with the new. The people of Israel are to be different. Set apart. Distinct from the Egyptians. And all other peoples. So this feast was an annual reminder that God had not only saved his people out of Egypt, but he had saved them to be holy. This week-long feast preached an annual sermon to the hearts of the Israelites, and here was the message. Israel, live in the purity that God has called you to as the redeemed people of God. And it's the same message that we hear as Christians over and over again in the New Testament. Maybe the greatest example is the book of Romans in Romans 12. Right? So you have Romans 1 through 11. So you have this great book of Romans. And in Romans 1 through 11, Paul goes into detail about the depths of our sin. Romans 1 and 2, beginning at chapter 3. And then what God has done with a mighty hand to save us, the end of chapter 3 and 4, 5, 6, and 6, 7, and 8, the promises of God excuse me you get into Romans 9 10 11 you have the depths of the wisdom of the glory of God you have these these mighty truths about how good our God is and then you get to Romans 12 1 right I appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship In other words, how do we respond to the awesome love of God? How do we respond to a God who has done so much to save us when we could do nothing? We have nothing to bring to him. We have nothing to give to him. We have nothing to contribute to our salvation. How do we respond to a God who has been so good to us? Here is the response we've been called to. Spiritual worship, which is... Seeking to live a holy life. Seeking to be different from what we used to be. 
having been set free from sin, don't go back to it. Instead of greed, give. Instead of selfishness, put other people first. Instead of pride, be humble. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Live in these things. Be marked by these things. Be holy. This is our supreme spiritual worship to God. Sin is like leaven. Sin spreads. Sin grows. Paul said about sin in the church, do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? We say it this way, give Satan an inch and he'll take a mile. Be holy. For your God is holy. And he saved you to be holy. What are some lessons for us from this feast? Last heading. Some lessons for us from this feast. Number one, Let us see the importance of remembering. The importance of remembering. Not just bringing to mind how God has saved us, but rejoicing afresh. Mount Hermon, believers in this room, are you living in the joy of the fact that you have been redeemed? Are you living there? Dear Christian, are you recalling what God has done for you and is that where you find your strength? Part of this celebration of remembering was for the Israelites to find fresh resolve to be holy. They were to remember what God has done and it affected their hearts and because they were in love with this God, they found fresh resolve to walk in his ways. Exodus 13, verse 9, it shall be to you as a sign on your hand, as a memorial between your eyes, that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. What was to motivate God's people to love God's law and to walk in God's law, to cherish God's law, to speak God's law to their kids, to obey God's law? It was not sheer duty. God did not simply come to his people and say, here are my commands, obey them because I said so. There is truth to that. Don't dismiss that. We should obey God because he said so. He is God. But God goes much further than that. This was an annual week in which the people of God were to remember that their God loves them and had done much was gracious and wonderful for them. This was a week in which God said to them, look at how I love you. Look at how I've shown my love for you. See my love for you and my mighty acts of salvation on your behalf. Rejoice. Rejoice in what I've done for you. Rejoice in who I am. Rejoice in my care for you and in my joy. In in that thanksgiving that you have towards me. In your heart overflowing with love for me. You can find what you need to walk in accordance with my word. Duty alone will not keep us obedient to God. It just won't. It's not strong enough for most of us. But joy in God is strong enough to keep us obedient to God.
Love for God because of what he has done for us is strong in us to keep us walking in holiness. And so God calls us as a church to remember every Lord's Supper. That's our Passover feast. Every Lord's Supper, we're to remember, we're to take the unleavened bread because our Savior broke his body for us. And we're to remember the blood that was poured out as we take the cup. And we're to remember and we're to rejoice and we're to resolve afresh. If I am loved this much, how could I not live this week for the glory of my Savior? Every Lord's Day is set aside to be a day of remembrance for us. This is why it's unwise to ignore the Lord's Day, even when you're on vacation or even when you're out of place. One of the main reasons God gave us this Lord's Day as a gift is it would be a day for us to put aside other things and do the thing we, know we need most, which is to remember and rejoice afresh so that we can have the resolve to obey God on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. The remembering that we do in this place every Sunday gives us the strength to honor God and to serve Him the rest of the week. Second lesson, and this is a lesson for anyone in this room who is not a believer on the Lord Jesus Christ. Dear unbeliever, when it comes to salvation, you have nothing to remember because you're still lost. Dear friends, do you know why it matters that we particularly use unleavened bread in our Lord's Supper services? It's because Jesus was perfect and sinless. There was no sin in him when he went to the cross. And you say, well, Justin, if if there was no sin in Christ, then, then why did he have to go to the cross? It was because of the great exchange. When Jesus Christ went to the cross for sinners, God placed the guilt of everyone who would ever trust Christ on Christ's shoulders. So that if you believe on Christ, your sins and your guilt were accounted to Christ. The illustration I use most often is is a report card. When it comes to being patient, being loving, being giving, we all have F's on our report card. And God took the F's and the punishment we deserve for our F's. And when I was a kid, I got punishments when I came home with F's. The punishments that we deserve for our F's, they were placed on Christ. So that now when we believe on Christ, the perfect A's of Jesus' report card is accounted to us. God treated Jesus on the cross as if he had committed every sin that we've ever committed. And God treats us who believe now as if we had lived the perfect life that Jesus Christ lived in our place. It's the great exchange. Lost person in this room, don't you want to be rid of your sins? Don't you want to be forgiven? Don't you want to be wrapped in the righteousness of Christ, having God as your Father, Jesus as your Savior, the Bible as your guide, the Spirit as your comforter, these Christian brothers and sisters as as encouragements in your life? Why would you not call on Christ to save you? Call on him. Trust him. Show it by being baptized in his name, joining a healthy church. Put the old life away and clean out the leaven by beginning a life of following Jesus Christ. 
there is a third and final lesson. It's particularly a lesson for, for parents, though it can certainly be applied to grandparents and uncles and aunts and all of us who have any interaction with kids. Because did you notice Exodus 13, verse 8? Exodus 13, verse 8. You shall tell your son on that day, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. <laughs> At Christmas time, don't we stop and tell our kids why we're doing what we're doing? Don't we, particularly as Christian parents, make a point to say this is all about Jesus? So also, God commanded the Israelites to explain throughout the Passover feast why they were doing these things. Son, daughter, here's why we're doing this. It's because of what the Lord did for me when he brought me out of Egypt. Are we helping our kids to understand why we do so many things that other families don't do? Why does our family go to church? Why does our family participate in maybe small group meetings, monthly prayer meetings? Why does our family read the Bible? Why do we, why do we treat the Bible as important in our family? My friend's family doesn't do that. Why do we give to the church? Take the amount of money we give in a year to the church. We could have gone to Disney World. Why do we give it to the church? What's that about? Why do we have different standards in our home? Mom, why do we do these things? Dad, why do we, why do, we do these things? And do we explain to our children, here is why. Because I used to be lost and now I'm found. I once was blind and Jesus Christ came into my life and gave me sight. I once was like these other people in the world. I once was living like other people in this world. But Jesus Christ came into my life and changed me forever. And I love him. And I love him with everything that I am. And I just want to do whatever I can to serve him and to honor him and to help you kids see how good he is. How worthy of love. How worthy of your trust. Kids in this room. Kids, do you understand why it is that we're here this morning? Why do your parents bring you to church? It's because your God, their God, has done a work in saving their souls. God saved your parents with a mighty hand. Your mom and your dad are not perfect. They are sinners, but God has forgiven them. And they love to be forgiven. And they love the fact that they are going to heaven and that one day they're going to see Jesus Christ. Your parents love Jesus. That's why they do what they do. Dear kids, our prayer is that one day you'll love him too. And that you'll know him. And you'll trust him. And you'll want to do these things with your kids. May God help all of us to remember and to rejoice and to worship through lives of holiness this God who has redeemed us with a mighty right hand. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.